podcasting from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, known as the City of Bridges. This is Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, conversations of influence and change. I am your host, Christy Knights, C-suite executive coach, psychotherapist, professional speaker, and best-selling author, the revolutionary leader in business and life. Thank you for joining us. I am so grateful for you and your willingness to share time and space. Today, I am joined by a hero, a person who has lived through difficulties in life then rose to a place of joy and service to others. In true hero form, our our guest will share her story authentically so others may know they are not alone. I am so excited for you to meet my dear friend, Robin. Robin Baldwin is an alpha female. We know we love those alpha females <laughs> who help pe- women find work, life, harmony. Robin is a full-time marketing manager, a fitness lifestyle blogger at robinbaldwin.com, a co-best-selling author, host of the Alpha Female Podcast, and a passionate essential oil educator. She loves weightlifting, running, obstacle course races, yoga, and making seasonal bucket lists. After being diagnosed with MS in 2014, and starting out on a new health journey, she's transitioned from being an MS warrior battling an autoimmune disease to an MS thriver and living well with the health sidekick. Today, I introduce to you Robin. Welcome, Robin. How are you today? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Absolutely. I am just so blown away by your work um, and what you have done. I have been looking into the website and looking into just your journey. And, you know, it's incredible to just see where you've been. So can you share with our audience a little bit about your journey? For sure. So I kind of have it like named in different buckets, but um, I kind of share that I like I started out on a fitness journey way back in 2009 when I was starting my blog. Um, And that's when I was learning how to take care of myself a little bit, um, how to have a fitness routine, movement routine. And the goal at the time was to simply get up on stage and actually compete in fitness competitions. And I also wanted to land a cover of a magazine. So I was very, very like vain focused. And um, after a few years of competing and realizing that it was such a subjective sport and it was really, really hard on um, my self-love and how I viewed myself, Um, I actually discovered obstacle course racing. So when I transitioned into like a strength journey and actually figuring out that I was an athlete, um, at the same time, I was also discovering how to be a lot healthier because the fitness competition world is actually not very healthy. Um, So that was like my fitness journey that moved into like a health journey. And then behind the scenes... um, I was battling, you know, picture perfect life, but in the background, things were falling apart. So um, I was engaged to be married in 2012. Um, And so while I was, you know, ramping up for all these fitness competitions, I was also in a really unhealthy relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And I called off the wedding a month before um, and started out on figuring out how to find a life that I love. So 2013 onwards, um, I was figuring out 
one, how to love myself, how to have fun in my life again, and how to take care of myself because I had started emotionally eating. Um, I was also drinking during that time period. So that kind of transitioned. And then in 2014, at the end of the year, I was diagnosed with MS just two years after leaving that toxic relationship. So then my health journey just kind of evolved even further. And I had to learn to really truly take care of myself. So I call my MS my sidekick Mm. um, that simply just taps me on the shoulder and has taught me that I can take care of myself so much better than I was previously. So that's kind of like the the journeys. Thank you so much. So can you remember a time when you were younger, you know, before those journeys where you did not feel so great about yourself? So I think in like my early 20s, I was chasing after this subconscious belief that I needed to be married um, and have baby babies by a certain age. I was also chasing after a subconscious belief that I needed to have so many different achievements in my life to fit in into my family. And so I, I discovered that as I was writing my book. So after I left the, the toxic relationship, um, I wrote a book that I published in 2016 called Love Lost, Life Found. And Love it. the book was part therapy. And at the same time, I was going to see a psychotherapist. And the, my big aha moments were... One, um, so I grew up in uh, Christian faith, and I remember being very, very involved in like my youth group when I was younger. And um, in the Baptist faith, you choose to be baptized when you're older. And a lot of the time, baptism ceremonies um, involve like a speaking portion, and people talk about like why they're choosing to be baptized now. And I can recall one specific service where I watched someone share his difficult, hard journey and why he was not choosing that anymore. So I was a really good girl and I felt so impacted by his story. I said, do I need a, like, I basically attached this need to have a hard story. So when I was presented with difficulty later in life in terms of this relationship, I was like, I just need to get through this and then I'll have a story like subconsciously. And then also, I think it was like grade eight home ec class. <laughs> yeah. They make you create, um, a, it was like a dream box, shoe box. Okay. And I found it several years later and I had another aha moment where I was like, holy crap, this totally messed me up. They just simply want you to start like thinking about where your life is going to go. But they made us do this timeline. And on the timeline after university, I'd found my husband and I had gotten married. So when I was presented with a relationship in my like late 20s, I was like, crap, I'm already past my timeline. I need to get married. I need to have babies before 30. So the first guy that comes along and tells me he wants to have a family with me and and get married, I'm like, okay. And I ignored all signs and symptoms of an unhealthy relationship because I thought I just had to get married. So that was really, really helpful doing therapy um, and writing the book at the same time because I was just, I was realizing all of these subconscious beliefs that I had chosen for myself were not true and were not needed in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, gave myself a lot of grace and forgiveness for um, having chosen these, having developed these, um, but just being self-aware of them. Good, good. You had mentioned a few minutes ago about the need for achievement to fit mm. family, right? Yeah. What was that family dynamic like when you were younger, that your perspective came from that place? 
So I actually um, just shared this um, this thought with my dad because I've been sharing it on podcasts and then I'm like, you know what, I should really tell my family. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my grandfather, my dad's dad, passed away a few years, uh, several years ago now. Okay. But at his memorial service, um, we celebrated all of his life accomplishments. And it was the first time that I had seen them or heard of them. So my grandfather was actually the president of a Canadian airline. And wow. I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> like, wow. no idea. Um, he was also very instrumental in establishing all of the airports in Canada. And there's pictures of him in the privy office, which is a division of our government. So it's just like, oh, wow, my grandfather was quite high up there. No idea. He never once talked about it. His priority with me was giving me a Werther's candy and a riddle to solve for the day. So my grandfather, and I saw this and I even hear, I heard it in my, my dad and my uncle's um, eulogies where my grandfather was not really present when they were kids, but Mm. when the grandkids came along, it was his second chance. Mm. Um, And so I know him as a family man, but I didn't see him as like the workaholic. Um, my dad has a PhD from Harvard. So I then also grew up with like all of these academic accolades. Like I need to, I need to get secondary education. I need to then get my master's. Do I need to get my PhD? Like all of these questions float around and it was never put on us. Like it was never put on us that you needed to do this. Um, but it was just, that was the family dynamic that everyone was highly, um, accoladed and um, had these high achievements. So for me, I was like, I want to make my family proud. I need to start climbing the corporate ladder. Um, so I created like this overachiever, over like workaholic persona just to fit in. So again, subconscious beliefs being built up over the years by no fault of anyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Experience at that time or through the years, anxiety or depression related to that level of pressure? I don't think I ever experienced anxiety or depression over the workaholic. I've always experienced anxiety and depression just simply around um, relationships and my life and the relationships that I've been in. So not only the toxic relationship and calling off the wedding, um, but even like entering the dating world after um, I, I didn't truly love myself. And so every time I would get into new relationships and I'd be presented with the exact same type of person in my life yeah. um, and they would fall apart over and over again, I, it was just like this constant wheel of anxiety and insecurity. How did you cope with your anxiety at the time? Um, so I believe that anxiety is living in the past and future worry. Um, I'm really good at doing that. (laughs) Um, So right. So after I called off the wedding and left that relationship, um, I, uh, one of my friends suggested psychotherapy um, for me and just simply talk therapy. Uh, And so I started that. um, And then when I was diagnosed with MS, I actually went back, like, I was also the type of person that I went to like four sessions and was like, I'm healed. Um, (laughs) So when I was diagnosed with MS, uh, I went back because um, I realized that I had skipped the four stages of grief when presented with um, a diagnosis that is traumatizing. um, And I never want to diminish that. I I diminished it because I didn't want to be like stuck in grief. And so I like 
proudly proclaimed that after my diagnosis, I went through all four stages within 24 hours and moved straight to acceptance because I'm an alpha female. That's right. Um, yeah. So that's a whole, whole other, whole other ball game, like being introduced. So I went back to therapy and talk therapy to just talk about like being nicer to myself, giving myself grace, um, allowing myself to sit with frustration when I had symptoms. I no longer have symptoms, but um, at the beginning when I was learning how to take care of myself better, I would get so mad at my body um, when I got overheated while doing a workout and my right side would go, would go numb. So just like talking that out as well um, and not diminishing the fact that um, – any sort of trauma is worth talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't have to be um, what's like what some of us deem like absolutely atrocious, but like any sort of um, trauma and like the definition of trauma is worth talking about. Absolutely. In what capacity did your family support you through, you know, calling off the wedding and then grieving that and working through it? My mom has always been absolutely amazing. So I was I was hiding a lot of things from my family because um, there's a lot of shame and embarrassment around relationships falling apart um, and not wanting to talk about it because oh it you know there's that sense of failure I failed at this um, and you know so I I've confided in my mom when the relationship start started falling apart but I didn't tell her the reasons why or okay. whatnot. Um, but when I did call off, uh, the wedding, you know, my mom drove, we were four hours apart and like drove immediately to be by my side. Um, same thing. Like I was, um, diagnosed with MS sort of during an, like a a Mm -hmm. evening time period called my mother and she drove in like the next Mm -hmm. morning immediately and was there by my bedside, like by the time I woke up. So my mom has always been absolutely amazing. Um, my father actually lives with MS. So, um, that was very difficult for both of us because, you know, the immediate thought that like I passed this on to my daughter. So I think it was very difficult for him, but my mom has always kind of been like, she's there no matter what for so many people from friends, family, um, and whatnot. Um, and then as I started educating myself and taking care of myself better, I would always relay everything to my mom so she could pass it off to my dad. And it's only now four years later that he's taking all of the kind of self-care principles that I believe are so, um, instrumental in my remission to actually take care of himself. So, yeah, so we're, we're really good at just being there for each other, um, talking it through slowly. I think for me and our family dynamic, um, it's been a slow process of like opening up. I also use the book as a, a way of just presenting all that information to her. So my mom's an editor and I just asked her to edit my book. And that was like, now you're going to know everything that happened, but I don't have to physically tell you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It works out nicely, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's allowed for our relationship to like slowly open up. And she's now telling me things um, now in the present moment. So two years after my book um, released, um, that she's never felt comfortable saying before. Mm-hmm. So um, it is kind of amazing that as you open up and as you share vulnerability, it also gives permission to, um, to others uh, to do the same. Absolutely. And that has been one of my platforms for leadership is mm-hmm. that in leadership, when we have the ability to be soulful and authentic and 
transparent, it then influences others Mm -hmm. to share, be released from their painful experiences and be way more productive and contribute to society and love themselves more. Mm -hmm. Um, It gives them value. You were able to do that through conveying your painful experiences and your vulnerability. Mm -hmm. The power of you being diagnosed to dad diagnosed prior yet taking care of himself after your Mm -hmm. diagnosis. Yeah. I think it's always some generations are very, I guess, like encapsulated in their beliefs um, and ways that... I guess, care or healthcare exists in the world. Um, and uh, there's a lot of fear too about like going out on a limb and trying something that has no clinical trials around it um, or whatnot, especially if you're very like highly um, scientific and like, you know, you, you've done all the steps to achieve a certain degree. Um, so you just follow people's steps. And so if there's no clinical trial steps to, you know, going into remission with MS mm-hmm. um, that like a doctor is not prescribing, there's a lot of like, there's a a lot of belief systems there that have to um, break down. So what I absolutely love about my like overachiever worker personality and the fact that like I am the daughter of a PhD professor that loves like researching and teaching is that I've, I've achieved that same sort of personality. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, t- I attacked my MS do- diagnosis the same way that I would attack like researching a test and getting or studying for a test. Um, like, mm-hmm. let me, let me get all the different information pieces and then like, let me be my own science experiment. Let me try this out, see how this works. How does this make me feel? And then now I can actually like take that information and present it to others. And um, I like to call my, my way of teaching, like I simplify the science for people. Um, and I've been able to do that for my father as well. Wow. And that is so empowering too. Talk to us about your journey to write the book. What led you to be that vulnerable? When, like, as everything was falling apart, I was like Google searching things like how to call off a wedding, how to cancel a wedding. Um, how to heal after calling off a wedding and I couldn't find anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't find one person that I um, had, that had shared their story. Mm-hmm. It was mostly around um, divorce. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I couldn't find the resource. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, fine, I'll create the resource. Um, and there was a part of me that like, I wanted to share the story because I wanted to put light on the things that we hide and I wanted to share. And it was hard to, cause I didn't want it to be um, just a, a story of defamation. Yes. You know, like I made sure that it was not about attacking the other person. It was presenting the facts of what happened, um, protecting their identity. Um, so that, that like that was covered Uh, But I wanted to present what happened because it happened and I ignored red flags, warning signs that I shouldn't have. And so I wanted to present it in a public way so that one person, if they read it and was like, crap, I'm ignoring that myself in my relationship, that's not okay. Um, And giving people the permission to say like, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if I, a strong female, 
you know, someone, I believe I'm highly intelligent and intellectual, but if I could ignore something, I know somebody else is doing the same thing. So I wanted to give permission to someone else to stand up for themselves and remove themselves from a relationship that wasn't serving them properly. That part of the book is only like one or two chapters. And then there's like eight chapters on the eight things that I did to find a life that I love from reading self-development books to using quotes on Pinterest to um, creating seasonal bucket lists um, to actually like figure out how to be single again, how to date your friends or like, what do you want to do when you actually start dating um, again? Um, And then like sharing your truths, um, when to share your truths with other people and then learning how to trust your gut. Um, Because I obviously didn't in the early stages and it was like a practice of like when I went out on a date something didn't feel right in my stomach why Mm -hmm. um and just learning how to recognize that so the majority of the book is just sharing how I found a life that I love and that was really the the main purpose was helping somebody else heal after a broken heart yeah, just extraordinary because you're right. The literature is just not out there. And, you know, as a, a psychotherapist, my platform is, um, is suicidal prevention, right? Um, suicide prevention and awareness. And so many times those who are survivors that I speak with and, you know, my book is about survivors. One of the main reasons they came to that place in their life was a broken relationship. Yeah because they felt so rejected, so abandoned, even adolescents. When we talk with adolescents in their anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, most often they are around rejection and abandonment due to a romantic relationship. And I had, I, so I have kind of like two perspectives on this. I was, mm-hmm. um, I never was in um, such a depression that I ever considered it, but I was in a relationship with someone who was suicidal. I was present um, for an attempt. Um, And that's when I found out that there were several attempts before we had ever started our relationship. Um, And it was always kind of shoved away. Um, In my ex-fiance's culture, you know, you didn't get depressed. You, you just, you didn't deal with it. Right. Um, and there was, there was a huge stigma around getting help. And so I was in a relationship with someone that I was trying to help, mm-hmm. but this person didn't want the help. Yeah. And so I took a lot of responsibility on to my shoulders. And that was really hard for me because I believe in the sanctity of marriage. I believe in mm-hmm. for better or for worse. And this was for worse. And I... Um, would walk on eggshells so that I never kind of set um, this individual like quote unquote off Um, because I was always scared that like my actions or something I said would send him into a depression lull. So I, I, he had highs and lows. Like it was very, it was very periodical. And I even um, brought him to professionals, but every time I brought him to a professional, he was in a high. And so I was really, really, really frustrated because I had never encountered this before. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, didn't know who to go to for support. I didn't know how, who to talk to, to. So I felt like I was navigating this world and I was caregiving and caretaking for somebody that didn't want it. Yeah. Um, so when I, when I left the relationship and I share in my book and I've shared on podcasts that we called off the wedding and I actually stayed with this individual and I said, you know, this party is not worth what's ha- like 
It's not going to fix what's happening. We need to work on our relationship and take care of you. Um, and he was also uh, a heavy drinker at the time. Okay. Yeah. And so I simply asked, like, please, um, you know, can you stop drinking and can you go see somebody, whether it's to get medication or to do talk therapy. Like I, I really need those two things to happen for, for our relationship to survive. Um, and when they didn't happen um, and the drinking continued every single day for the next month after we called off the wedding. Um, and one time he came home and he just simply said, you disgust me. And that was my breaking point. And I realized that I was just simply being a mirror for him. And that was the first time I was like, has nothing to do with me, but thank you for sharing how you feel about yourself. And that was my breaking point where I just said, I can't do this anymore. And I felt sick afterwards because I was so terrified that my actions of leaving the relationship were going to be a trigger. And I still felt such weight for the longest time um, of just fear that I would be a trigger, that I was the reason why he, he may take his life in the future. Um, and I lived with that for, for months and years. How did you finally come to that place where you could leave the relationship? It was, it was, that, it was simply that statement. It was, wow, you don't respect yourself. You don't respect me. You know, he was drinking every single day after I asked him to stop and he hadn't gone to see anyone. So I realized that like, I was never going to be able to make a difference in this person's life because they didn't care to take care of themselves. Right. Um, and I realized that although I believe in for better or for worse, mm -hmm. um, you have to meet somebody halfway or one quarter of the way. Um, and, when it, and when there was zero, I realized that I was, um, I was just simply like dragging the relationship along. Yes. So talk about the ways that you took care of yourself to heal after leaving that relationship so that you could have a healthy relationship now. Mm -hmm. I started first with like physical health because I had been emotionally eating throughout that time period. Um, and I was also uh, emotionally drinking too. Um, and so I cut out all alcohol because it was a huge trigger for me having seen him um, incessantly drink at the end of our relationship. Yeah. And um, just got back to like my fitness competitor ways. Mm -hmm. So I knew how to meal prep. I knew how to go to the gym and I just simply brought those back into my life. So like for the first month, I was just like, I'm going to work out once this week and then mm -hmm. twice the next week and then three times the next week. I'm going to prep my lunches next week and then I'm going to go back to prepping my lunches and my dinners and then I'm back to prepping all my meals. So like I slowly built up on all the things I had taught myself previously. Mm -hmm. um, and then I read the happiness project pretty yep. much right away. Yep. And that was so instrumental in me just like grouping my months into themes and working on something different each month. Um, I wrote out my 12 commandments of how I wanted to show up in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I started creating these seasonal bucket lists. So my first summer, um, I was like, I don't know what like having a summer is like because whenever my ex was in depression, we just like, we never left the house. Okay. So I created like super simple bucket lists. Um, I think my, my first one was so easy. It was like, go on a picnic, go play golf, go on a road trip um, and have a barbecue. 
And then they just kept building. So like the next summer, it was all about like pushing myself out of my comfort zone and trying things for the first time. Um, and then um, putting things on my list that I hadn't done in a while. So it was like bungee jumping, extreme adrenaline sport. And then I was like um, <laughs> playing golf with my friends. So I had like a mix of items. And now, now after like doing all these adrenaline junkie ones, I'm actually going back to like super simple ones. Um, and this was after I, I did a talk at a, at a local um, school for teenage moms. And one of the ladies asked me like, your bucket lists are really expensive. And I had full like, privilege shame I was like wow they totally are because every single one of those things cost quite a lot of money to accomplish yes, yes. and so we went back and we sat and we like actually chatted about how to make like a really um cheap bucket list like yeah. going to the park um and sitting in the grass um and so like a lot of my bucket list items now are just going back to like simple um moments creating just those like happy moments in your life that don't cost a lot of money so that's the evolution of the bucket list um going back to therapy was um something that or going to therapy was one of the first things and then when i was diagnosed going back to therapy um the other thing was speaking my truth. Mm -hmm. So I had to stumble and learn <laughs> throughout the course of like my first year being single mm -hmm. um, that on your second date, verbal diarrhea-ing all over a person and telling them that you were engaged to be married is not appropriate on a second date. <laughs> um, I had to learn that like I was challenging people to like help me unpack my bag, my baggage and had to really be like cognizant of like, oh, this is what I'm doing. I'm just like trying to get somebody to be like, oh, I can like I can hold your hand through this mm -hmm. or like what? No, what? like that's crazy. Like you need to deal with that on your own. So I had to like stumble and like I was a hot mess when I started dating again um, in hindsight, but I had to learn that I was a hot mess and that like I needed to like pull back and actually learn to love myself again um, instead of just like running and seeking uh, and trying to find the next guy that would be with me. I had to be okay with being with myself. Yes. We see that pattern repeat itself time and again for people who do not do that work. Mm -hmm. Heal then, you know, they find themselves in that same place again. So, you know, talk to me about your, how you use essential oil as an educator. How are you using it in, in health and wellness? Mm. So I brought it into my life when I was diagnosed with MS because um, I realized that I wasn't dealing with stress properly and I wasn't sleeping properly. So after leaving the relationship, during the relationship, I had a ton of insomnia and I wasn't sleeping properly um, because my ex was cheating on me at the time. Um, so those were the signs and uh, like the warning signs I ignored. Um, you know, he, we lived together, but he wouldn't come home until four in the morning after mm -hmm. going out with his friends. So there was those. Things. And so I would wake up at like two in the morning and just like panic attack mode. Mm -hmm. um, and after the relationship ended, I still had that anxiety. I still, my body was still programmed to wake up every single night and worry. Okay. Um, and so I had, to, I had to learn how to sleep better. I had to learn how to take care of myself. And um, so I was using essential oils simply to signal to my body, it's time to rest. It's time to de-stress. Oh. So I would put lavender in an Epsom salt bath. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started learning about anti-inflammatory properties and just different practices to reduce inflammation in my body, which was important for MS. Mm -hmm. So I would use like lavender and frankincense in my bath. 
and that was how I simply like brought them into my life. And then um, because I love researching and all of that, I would start researching all the different ways that essential oils are useful in your life. So I'd use them from um, taking the supplements by the company that I'm with um, to fix some of my nutrient deficiencies. Um, and then I would use them to help recover after a hard workout or to mm -hmm. cool down because I over when I overheat, I get symptoms. Yeah. So, you know, I'm putting peppermint on the back of my neck to help cool down. And then I was using them to de-stress and sleep better. And then I started um, using them to actually reduce the toxic load on my body. So switching out my cleaning products for do-it-yourself cleansers. So I like kind of just, I call it the building blocks of health. I just slowly started, and it's the same way, like the building blocks of healing a heart. You start slow and then you build upon it. Um, and when I was still dealing with anxiety, the action of taking an essential oil bottle out of the shelf and, you know, slow, sometimes the oils are super slow to come out. So like having to watch those drops come out of the bottle into the diffuser, you just automatically slow your body down. But then taking the actions of either like meditating or writing in my journal, um, so many different tactics that are used for reducing anxiety or panic attacks. Um, but pairing that with an oil that was known to um, work with the brain in terms of releasing happy hormones um, in the simple science, um, like that was everything to me. So like I put, I can put frankincense in a diffuser and automatically my body just relaxes because I've created um, that muscle memory with the, the scent. Absolutely. I love it. So Robin, share with us your services and how people can reach you. Um, and, you know, what you can give back to them if mm. they were interested. Yeah, for sure. Um, so on the blog, I have so many different resources from what I've done um, on my MS journey. So I absolutely love pointing people there because the MS community um, has reached out to me and they're like, well, what did you do? And I'm like, it's all, it's all documented. Right so I doc yeah, so I documented my journey on my blog. Mm -hmm. And then on the blog, I really share um, different health tips in terms of how I'm taking care of myself, book reviews for self-development, my obsession with self-development. Um, and then the podcast is a resource um, for ambitious women because it's all alpha females that I interview and how they take care of themselves. So I'm, I'm very careful about who I bring on um, so that you can get tips and tricks for other women that are high achievers, um, but know that they need to take care of themselves in the process. And then last but not least, because I, I loved being a customer of doTERRA, I do now sell the oils. So that was like my easy way to like monetize all the value I'm putting out into the world. Absolutely. So before we go, share with me how you developed the alpha female, Dona, mm. and how you adopted that term and, and using it because I love it. So I was called an alpha female when I started my blog because I was working full time and going to the gym twice a day. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I named my blog that and didn't think anything of it. And actually, when I was diagnosed with MS um, and started sharing how I was taking care of myself from a holistic perspective, a hate thread started online all around me. And I, of course, found it and decided to read every single page. There was like 10 pages long of this forum of people just bashing the way that I had chosen not to take drugs to take care of myself. Um, yeah. And before I stopped reading it, because what you, what you seek, you will find. And I learned that like I don't 
I don't need to look at that stuff. Um, There was one comment and that one comment created the podcast. So someone said, what gives her the right to call herself an alpha female? And I said, oh, what does give me the right? I haven't even defined it. I don't even know what it means. Let me, let me define it. So I wrote a definition. It's evolved um, through my podcast guests. Um, and I read it out at the beginning of every single podcast. It's on my website, robinbaldwin.com. Um, and you can find it at forward slash podcast. And it's simply a state of mind of being ambitious, but taking care of yourself. Um, and so I created this definition. It's evolved with all of these different people. And then I said, you know what? It's not going to be about me. I'm going to showcase other amazing women um, that have similar ways of moving through this world. So we're not all carbon copies of each other. Some are full-time corporate women. Some are entrepreneurs. Um, but let's celebrate this term and let's make it a positive one because that term most people think is like um, a woman that's out to like eat men. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's a woman that's the leader of her pack, but wants to um, create harmony for not only her life, but those around her. So I am slowly getting this new terminology and definition out into the world. Oh, I love it. I love it. Love it. And I love your podcast. I've listened to multiple of them and they're just very powerful. And I yeah. absolutely believe people will learn and grow from them. And there is this, you know, demographic of women that I think truly needs that level of, of connection with each other to know mm-hmm. that they're not alone and to continue to feed each other's spirit and souls to continue doing what they're doing. Mm. So hats off to you. And I applaud you. Thank um, you. You are truly a hero. Your demonstration of heroism by telling your story is absolutely going to save a life. And we need to get that book out there. And we need to truly promote um, that level of heroism that you are. So thank you so much for being with us today, Robin. Thank you for listening to Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, conversations of influence and change. Each show, we bring you a guest of revolutionary influence by living a life of nobility, courage, and authenticity. To meet other knights of the round table or to be a guest on this show, go to christyknights.com. Join us next week as we cross the bridge to meet the next knight to join the round table of revolutionary leaders of influence and change. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.